Please turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 22 to 25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgetting what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your precious word. Help us to approach it rightly. Father, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word with joy and gladness and help us to apply it to our lives this day. Father, I need your Holy Spirit to to lead me and to guide me as I present your word. and, And we all need your Holy Spirit to apply the word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have titled this message, True Christians Obey the Word. And we will divide this text into three headings. The command to obey, deceptive hearing, and the blessing of obedience. So first, the command to obey. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now notice here he does not say, don't be hearers. He says, don't be hearers only. Why do I say this? Well, there are many professing Christians today who believe that they receive some kind of direct revelation from God in order to live a righteous life. I mean, there are literally people who who believe that they don't need the word, they don't need to hear the word in order to know what's right. And you can, you can take the word to them and show them where they are contradicted. But their belief is that God told me. God revealed this to me. God gave me a word. Dear friends, the word that God has given us is right here in the Bible. So hearing is necessary. We don't know what to do unless we first hear the word. He says, don't be hearers only. And as mentioned in the last sermon, hearing the word is one part of an appropriate response to the word of God. The great God of, of heaven and earth has spoken to us. What should our response be? 
So at the end of the sermon last week, I said there's a three-step process to responding appropriately to the Word of God. And notice the progression. First, we must listen to the Word. This was the verse where he says, we must be eager to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When we do that, we can actually hear the Word. But he doesn't stop there. The second point is that once we hear the word, we must accept it as true. We must receive it. And we covered this last week. We must put away all moral filth and abundant wickedness and receive with meekness the word. God's word is truth. And our responsibility is to accept it as truth. And the third step, which we will cover today, is that we must obey the word. If we merely accept the word as true, we have not done our duty. We have not responded appropriately to the word. We must obey the word. Verse 22 says we must be doers of the word. Now, what is a doer? A doer is simply a person who does something. So here we are told to be doers of the word. So we're being commanded to be people who do what God requires in his word. In simple terms, we are to be obedient to the entire word of God. Hearing the word of God is not the end goal. Hearing is the means to the end. We are to hear the word of God so that we know what the word requires of us so that we can obey. Dear friends, do you feel the weight of this command? I mean, how much exposure do we have to the Word of God? I mean, some of us just have massive exposure. We, we, we listen to sermons, not only in church, but on our own. We, we read the Bible every day. We have our, our favorite radio stations where the Word is expounded. You go to Facebook and you see the Word. And James is saying, be doers of the Word. Every command that is written in this book, we are to be doers of. I mean, look how thick this is. This is a lot of doing. But this is the point. We have not done our duty by being mere hearers of the word. This is a weighty command to be doers of everything that we hear. We don't get to pick and choose what we obey. We are to be doers. And this command is not unique to James. This was the expectation laid out for us by Jesus himself. Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? There was an expectation to do what he said. Or we can look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. To observe means to conform one's action or practice to. This is discipleship. Learning to conform our actions and practices to all that Christ commands. That is his expectation. The expectation in all of Scripture is never simply to hear, but to obey. 
And this obedience must be universal. As I said a minute ago, we don't get to pick and choose what we are obedient to. And this should make us more eager to hear the word. Because, beloved, whether or not we know everything in this book, we are held accountable for it. If your boss at work gives you a list of things to do, and you just don't do half of them, and he approaches you and says, why didn't you do everything on your list? And you said, because I read half the list. In what world is that acceptable? We would not treat our work that way, so why would we treat God's word that way? We want to know what our boss requires of us so that we can please him. How much more should we want to know everything required of us from God so that we can please him? But what about those who hear the word and don't obey? I mean, is it really that bad? This leads to our second heading, which is deceptive hearing. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Those who are hearers of the word, but not doers, are actually self-deceived. And what are these people deceiving themselves about? They are deceiving or fooling themselves about their spiritual condition. There are many who read the word daily, listen to sermons, go to Bible studies, come to church, who are actually self-deceived about their spiritual state. They are deceived because they take some comfort in the fact that they hear the word. But, But hearing the word is not the gauge of our spiritual condition. Our obedience to the word, James says, is the gauge of our spiritual state. The fact that you like or even love hearing the word is not the ultimate proof that your heart is right. And I think that this is true for both believers and non-believers. Both are capable of self-deception. Let us look first at how unbelievers deceive themselves. There are actually unbelievers who are deceived right now because they love a good sermon. They say, my heart must be right because I love to hear the preaching of the word. I'm reminded of Benjamin Franklin, who I believe was a deist, not a Christian. But he loved the preaching of George Whitfield. He loved it. Why? Because it was like a good, fiery speech. I just loved that stuff. When I worked at EMS, I had a friend who was clearly unconverted. And sitting in an ambulance all day long with him, I would play Vody Bakum sermons. And he loved them. He would say, I can listen to this guy all day long while living in sin. Not professing faith in Christ. Rejecting Christ. But he loved a good, passionate speaker, even if they were speaking about the Bible or preaching the gospel. So there may be some here today who are deceived into thinking that they are saved 
simply because they came here to hear the preaching of the word. But you're not a doer. Or maybe someone here is unconverted, but because you read your Bible, you have a false sense of salvation. Why do you read your Bible? Maybe, maybe because you just love a good book. Maybe you have a passion for learning. Or maybe you read your Bible superstitiously. This is what I did in high school. If I don't read my Bible today, something bad is going to happen to me. I better do it. So many different reasons why a professing Christian may pick up his Bible and read. And this is no indicator that you are right with God. The question is not, do you like or even love hearing and reading the Word? The question is, do you obey the Word? Once again, there are people who read their Bibles daily and who attend church every time the door is open, who will die and go to hell because they were never truly converted. Consider the verse we looked at earlier. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Notice he says Lord twice. This is a, this is a way of emphasizing. This person is saying Lord, Lord. He, he, he's, he's emphasizing that he calls Jesus Lord. This is my Lord and I am his servant. But he doesn't obey. And Jesus says, why are you doing that? Why are you professing to be a Christian and attending church and reading the Bible when you don't obey? If you call Jesus Lord and yet don't obey him, the fact that you call him Lord should not comfort you. Why? Because what happens to those who call Jesus Lord but don't obey Well, we don't have to guess. Jesus told us in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone professing that Jesus is Lord. Not everyone saying they are a Christian will enter into heaven. But, But who? Who will enter into heaven? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Lord, I read my Bible every day. I attended church every Sunday. I went to prayer meeting every Wednesday. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. By the way, Jesus reveals here what the opposite of doing the Father's will is. What is it? He says lawlessness. So if we are not doing the word, which is the will of the Father, we are being lawless. There is no neutral ground here. We are either obeying or disobeying. Nobody here is living a morally neutral life. Well, I'm not, I'm not obeying the word that I read, but I'm not disobeying either. That's not possible. 
you are either obeying or disobeying. And this is why it can be said with such confidence that your obedience to the word is an indicator of your spiritual health. And okay, some of you will say, maybe I don't obey the word as I should, but I just love Jesus. Really? And what's your definition of love there? Because according to Jesus himself, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Dear friends, if you are not a doer of the word, keeping the commandments of Christ, you do not love him. Do you understand that? Let's say that your spouse is living in an adulterous relationship. Would you say that your spouse loves you? No. I mean, maybe he likes the way you look. Maybe he has some attraction to you, but does he love you? No. This is what Jesus is saying. We can't say that we love him, but yet live in disobedience to him. We are unfaithful to him by living in disobedience. If we love him, we will be doers of the word. Dear friends, let us examine our hearts and our lives. That we would not be self-deceived. If you are not a doer of the word, you must search your heart to see if you are truly trusting in Christ. If you profess him with your mouth, but you are not a doer, examine yourself, examine your heart. Because it is very well true that your profession is false. As Christ said, a tree is known by its fruit. A true believer is known by the fruit of obedience to the word. If upon examining yourself, you realize that you are simply not a doer of the word. You have no reason to believe that you are saved. You need to cry out to God asking for true and saving faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and repent of your disobedience. Perhaps you say, I have some obedience in my life. I mean, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. I have some obedience. Dear friends, you, you, you obey in some areas. But you know that you reject other areas. Maybe there are sins you, you love, so you reject the word in those areas. But you profess faith in Christ. This person, as Matthew Mead would say, is an almost Christian. He makes this distinction between the true Christian and what he calls the almost Christian. He says, he that is altogether a Christian is universal in his obedience. He does not obey one command and neglect another, do one duty and cast off another, but he has respect to all the commands. He endeavors to leave every sin and to love every duty. 
the almost Christian fails in this. His obedience is partial and piecemeal. If he obeys one command, he breaks another. The duties that least cross his lust, he is much in, but those that do, he lays aside. This is not to say that a true Christian can't struggle with certain sins or certain duties. But the question is this. Do you only perform those duties that are easy and natural to you? Do you only obey the word in the areas where you would naturally obey? What do I mean by that? Maybe you hate the taste of alcohol. So you boast that I would never get drunk. I'm a good person. See, I obey scripture. I would never get drunk. Yes, but you don't even like alcohol. You are obeying simply because that's not your preference. This is like the analogy of the person who, who, who he goes 55 miles per hour no matter what the speed limit is. If he's in a 35, he's going 55 because that's his preferred speed to drive. And then when he gets into the 55 mile per hour speed limit range, he boasts that he's a law-abiding citizen. Why? Because he's going his preferred speed. His preferred speed just happens to match the speed limit. He cares nothing about obedience to the law. He just happened to be obeying in this area. But this is what it is like. But Christ commands full obedience. And this does not mean that unless we obey perfectly, we are not Christians. But it does mean that we seek to obey all of Scripture. Not just the verses. We don't mind obeying. And when we struggle in certain areas, we cry out to God for grace and wisdom and we confess and we repent. That is what the Christian does. The almost Christian only obeys where he wants to. And when he doesn't obey, he doesn't confess and he doesn't repent. Dear friends, if you are not seeking to obey all of Scripture in that way, it may very well be because you are an almost Christian. You're almost there. You profess faith in Christ. You, you read your Bible, but, but you're just almost there. And dear friends, an almost Christian is not a Christian at all. In fact, he is a hypocrite. If you are a true Christian today, but struggling with obedience in some area, the point of this is not to discourage you. But, but you must see the seriousness of this. I don't want anyone assuming they are Christians because they, they hear the word. I want you to look at your life and judge your spiritual condition by the fruit of your obedience. And this is not to say that obedience saves us. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but true saving faith produces obedience. If your faith has not produced obedience, it is not genuine. Now, if you as a professing Christian examine your life and find that you are not really a doer of the word at this point in your life, there are two possibilities for that, for that case. The first possibility is that you were never really saved. Yes, you made a profession of faith and maybe you hear the word regularly. 
but your heart has not been changed. You are not a new creature who produces new fruit because the tree will be known by its fruit. You're like the thorny ground in the parable of the sower. You, you receive the word and maybe with gladness and you obey for some time, but eventually you stop doing the word. What did Jesus say about this soil? They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Does this describe you? You received and heard the gospel gladly. You affirmed it as true. You said, yes, this is most definitely true. And you begin to read your word with a passion and you obey. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and desires for other things have entered into your life and is now choking you. And yes, you still read your word, but you are no longer a doer of the word. Dear friends, if that describes you, it's most likely the case that you are like this soil with the thorny ground. This soil which was never actually saved. This person was never actually saved here. And the evidence of that is that he does not continue doing the word. There are other things that choke the word. So yes, he's still exposed to the word, but there's no fruit being produced. No obedience. If that is you, dear friend, I urge you and plead with you to confess your sins, to trust in Christ that he paid for, for your disobedience to his word, and turn from that disobedience. Run away from it. Make a 180 and run away from disobedience. Not that obedience saves you. But trust in Christ for salvation and obey because you love him. What is the second possibility? Maybe you are truly a believer. And maybe currently you are not a doer of the word because you are backsliding. It is possible for true believers to deceive themselves at times as well. As true believers, at times we grow stagnant and we begin to backslide. And the danger is that we don't realize we're backsliding because we're still doing our devotions every day. We're still reading the word. We're still coming to church. Yes, I have some sin that is creeping into my life that I'm giving myself over to, but I'm still in the word so I must be fine. No, you are self-deceived. Because even as a believer, if you are not doing the word, you are backsliding. It is possible that you are a true Christian, but you are not a doer of the word at this very moment. Maybe you are straying at this very moment. But if you are a true Christian, the Lord will not leave you there. He will chastise you. He will discipline you. He will put you back on the straight and narrow path. Maybe 
you are a true Christian and you know that you have been backsliding. What do I do? Scripture says, confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive you. But dear friends, if you do not confess your sins and turn from your sins, you prove that you were never truly converted. That once again, you were like the thorny ground. You showed a little bit of fruit, a little bit of promise for a moment. But your final state will reveal that you were never truly a Christian. Here's the point. In all situations, whether or not we are believers or unbelievers, those who take comfort in their spiritual condition simply because they hear the word are deceiving themselves if they are not also doers of the word, the entire word. And what are the consequences of deceptive hearing? What does it lead to other than a false sense of comfort. Verse 23 and 24, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he was like. James says the word is a mirror. It shows us who we really are. When we open up this Bible and look at it, it shows us who we are according to God's standards. The person who hears the word but does not obey it is like a person who looks intently into a mirror. And as soon as he turns away, he forgets what he saw. Dear friends, consider the insanity of what's being shown in this illustration. When we look in a mirror before we leave in the morning... (coughs) Do we immediately forget what we see? Absolutely not. And when you see things in the mirror that are not right, what do you do? How many people have looked in the mirror in the morning before you came to church and saw food on your face and you walked away and forgot about it? I can guarantee no one has done that. Besides maybe my five-year-old. We don't do that, do we? No, when we see something that is not right, we do something about it. You see dirt on your face. You don't wipe it for a second and say, well, that's not coming off, so I'll just go anyways. No. Get a towel. If that doesn't work, get soap. Whatever it takes to do it. If you don't like what you see, you change it. We do this physically. But do we do this with our souls when we look into the Word? And it shows us our shortcomings. And it shows us where we fall short of the glory of God. It shows us our moral filth. It shows us where we are not pleasing God. Do do we stay in the word and change? Repent, confess. Or do we simply say, oh well. And walk away. We don't do that. You see the word shows us. Our spiritual state. 
It shows us those things we need to change in order to live righteously. It shows us where we fall short of the glory of God by revealing his standard for righteousness. And, it, and when we see those things in Scripture through hearing the word, but we don't change by obeying the word, we are like the person who sees dirt on their face and they walk away and forget what they saw. May we care more about the moral filth in our lives than we do the dirt on our faces. May we have more concern for our souls than we do for a spot, our blemish on our face. Dear friends, when Scripture shows you where you need to change, Don't ignore it by being a hearer of the word only. Be a doer of the word and cast off the moral filth revealed to you in the mirror of the word. And not being doers of the word has major, major consequences. For the unbeliever... The scripture shows you your need for Christ. Looking into the mirror of the word shows you that you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the mirror shows you the standard for righteousness found in the law. And this leads you to the place where you know that you need a savior. And the word shows you that you can trust in Christ for salvation and turn from your sins. But if after looking into the mirror of Scripture, and seeing these things, you walk away as a forgetful hearer. You will never repent and believe. Dire consequences. And what about for the believer? For the believer, the Scripture shows us our spiritual spots and blemishes. And it reveals to us how we may please God. This means that the mirror of Scripture shows us the way of sanctification. It shows us where we need to change and it helps us to get there. So when we see these things in the mirror of the Word and walk away as forgetful hearers, we don't grow. Do you understand that? We don't grow outside of this Word. We have no sense of direction outside of this word. We don't know what pleases God outside of this word. There is no way that you are disobeying this word, being a forgetful hearer only, and growing in sanctification. That's called backsliding. If you are not a doer of the word right now, and you are a true believer, you are backsliding. And if you continue to refuse to be a doer, you will prove that you were never really saved. Nothing but bad things come from hearing the word and refusing to obey. Take no comfort in hearing the word if you are not obeying what you hear. But what about those who hear the word and do it? This leads to our third and final heading, which is the blessing of obedience. 
Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Blessed is the man who looks into the perfect law of liberty and obeys. The word James uses for looks is an interesting word. It actually describes someone stooping or bending down to see something that is not within his ordinary line of sight. The idea is this. The person who desires to obey the word wants to know exactly what the word says. And he bends and stoops in a manner of speaking to see things that are not in his ordinary sight. In other words, he searches the scripture diligently because he wants to know exactly what it requires so that he can obey. Not just so that he can obey what what, what he thinks it says. No, he wants to know exactly what it says so that he can obey perfectly. And notice what James says this man is looking into. He transitions from using word to saying law. He says perfect law. And then law of liberty. Now, this is not how most Americans, American Christians consider God's law. They don't refer to it as a law of liberty. They think of it more like a law of bondage. But this is not what James says. He says it's a law of liberty. How so? One commentator put it this way. The law of God sets us free as it drives us to Christ who alone can free us from sin. The law frees us. It shows us our need for Christ. But but once we have been justified, we then find God's law to be the law of freedom for we are truly free only when we do what is pleasing to the Lord. Sin is slavery. You may think it's fun, but you're a slave. Freedom is only found in obedience. Dear friends, if you don't think that the law is freedom, and that's, but that sin is freedom, consider the wages that are paid. What type of man considers it freedom to to do something that's going to lead him to eternity in hell? What kind of freedom is that? But Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The law is freedom for us. Because it shows us how to please God, how to obey him. And we do this because we love him. So the doer of the word makes great effort to discover what the word requires. And he views the requirements of the word as the way to freedom. And James says he perseveres. This is not a person who is a doer for a short season. We don't ride on past victories. We don't say, well, I was a doer of the word at some point in time, so I must be a Christian. He says, the one who perseveres. 
The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. The one who is faithful in obedience to the end. Not the one who was only faithful at one point in time. The one who was faithful only for a time is the seed that was sown to the thorny ground that eventually was choked. And this describes the one who is not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And James says, this one will be blessed in his doing. Blessing comes in obedience to the word. I don't think we understand that. This is a very simple concept, but, but, but I, I find that so many people don't actually live according to this. Blessing comes in obedience. Luke 11, 27 and 28. As Jesus was speaking, a woman said, Blessed is a womb that bore you in the breast at which you nursed. But, but Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God, and keep it. And blessed in the simplest definition is happiness. We could say that to be blessed is to have a happiness that comes from God. It is supernatural in its nature, a happiness that is unaffected by our circumstances around us. And this blessedness comes not to those who simply hear, but to those who obey The word. Listen to me, dear friends. In our culture, we think that blessing or happiness comes through compromise. Don't we? Oh, we do it every day. Last week we talked about the fact that that the word is true and that our duty is not to question the truthfulness of the word, but to accept it as true. And I pointed out that we often question the truthfulness of the parts of the word that make us clash with our culture. The culture does not like homosexuality being called sin. So we say, okay, well let's see if that's actually true in the Bible. And we compromise. We disobey. Why? Because it clashes with our culture. So we rewrite the Beatitudes. And we think to ourselves, happy are those churches who accept homosexuality because they won't clash with homosexuals. Happy are those churches that allow women to be pastors because they won't be called bigots. That's literally what we think. We compromise for that very reason. Because we think that that if we stand for truth, it's going to lead to division. And and that it's going to cause problems and people are not going to like us. Well, guess what? All those things are true. But blessedness comes not from compromise. Do we understand that? We are not pragmatists. We don't do what we think works. We do what scripture commands. I mean, it wasn't pragmatic for for Noah to build a boat, was it? Why would he do that? Hadn't even rained yet. It wasn't the practical thing to do. Maybe if you show me a little bit of rain, then I'll start building. Dear friends, we are called to be obedient to the word. 
And blessing comes through obedience. You, you may see in your head this clear path of how compromise is going to lead to something good, but, but be assured it will not. Maybe we compromise as a, as a church and the church begins to grow. But guess what? You know what's growing? Not something healthy, but a malignant tumor. That's what's growing. It's cancerous. There's no blessing that comes from disobedience. Blessing comes only through obedience. James says the one who's obedient to the word will be blessed in his doing. Blessing does not come from removing the offensive parts of Scripture. It does not come from trying to change what the word is saying, making it more tolerable to sinners and to our culture, which hates God. A blessing is tied to obedience to the word as revealed in Scripture. Not through the word as we want it to say, as what we want it to say. May the Lord give us courage to live according to this. To not be pragmatist. To, to not think that, that somehow it's going to be easier and happier if we just compromise. But may he give us courage to know and trust that blessing comes through obedience. Even if that looks like that obedience is going to lead to our death. For, for the Christian and many other countries, to, to profess faith in Christ means death. Are you going to tell them that blessing comes through compromise? No, through obedience. Even if we can't see what that blessing is. Even if we don't experience it here in this life. We can see that the stories of the martyrs who have gone to death joyful and singing happy. Their consciences were clear because they did not compromise and they were blessed. In conclusion, what, what can we boil all of this down to? This can be boiled down to a test of true faith. Our response to God's word show us our spiritual condition. The unbeliever hears the word and does not obey. The true believer perseveres in obeying the word. And again, we are not talking about a perfect obedience, but a heart commitment, as Dr. MacArthur would say. And I'll leave you with these words from John MacArthur. Some believers make a strong effort to act like believers. Acknowledging that scripture is inspired and true, attending church regularly, giving lip service to worship of God, and outwardly acting morally. In a similar but opposite way, true believers do not always live up to their understanding of scripture. Sometimes falling into serious sin, but James is speaking to the heart commitment to God's word or the lack of it. The unbeliever cannot keep up a spiritual facade indefinitely. And the true believer cannot be content 
to remain in sin indefinitely. Which one of those describe you? Do you have a heart commitment to obey God? And we're not asking if you are obeying God perfectly. Do you have a heart commitment? Is that your desire? And do you see progress? That's what James is saying. Dear friends, true Christians not only hear the word, but they accept it as true. And true Christians obey the word. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word and for your spirit, for giving us your word. Lord, we ask that you would reveal to each and every person here their true spiritual condition. Father, that, that those here who, who, who know that they are not obeying the word, that you would help them to examine themselves and, and see if, it, if, it's, if it's because they don't truly know you or if, or if because they are currently backsliding. Either way, Father, cause them to repent and to be trusting in you for salvation. Help us not to be compromisers. Help us not to be pragmatic but to understand that blessing comes through obedience. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word, which is light for our paths, that shows us our need for a Savior and shows us the Savior and shows us how we may please you. Help us to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.